and I saw, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, saying, Come and see. Thunder Radio with Christian J. Pento. Okay, praise the Lord, you guys, and welcome. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we are going to talk about where's our topic here? Chinese spies balloons and the great reset chinese spies balloons and the great reset now by now probably everyone listening to this show has heard the ongoing reports of these uh, chinese spy balloons we had one flying over the united states of america and there it was uh, floating for days and everybody's saying wait a minute this is some kind of chinese military style surveillance balloon why hasn't our government taken this thing down why didn't somebody put it down shoot it down whatever they're going to do uh let me me just read this here Uh, this is the official story on the chinese spy balloon it says quote from january 28th to february 4th 2023 A large white high-altitude balloon of Chinese origin crossed North American airspace, passing over Alaska, Western Canada, and the contiguous United States. And uh, eventually we know now that it was shot down by the U.S. authorities. F-22 safely shoots down Chinese spy balloon. A U.S. Air Force fighter safely shot down a Chinese high-altitude surveillance balloon. All right, once it drifted off the East Coast near the Carolinas, that's when they shot it down. So it uh, its path apparently took it over Tennessee at one point and uh, got to the Carolinas, and they shoot it down. But why was it allowed to go so long? Now, of course, the official story they're telling us is that because they did not know what the impact of shooting it down would be, whether or not there would be an explosion, would the debris harm U.S. citizens? I mean, who knows? But apparently this is not the first time this kind of thing has happened. The Chinese have these spy balloons going over a number of different countries, uh, and ours is just one of them. A disturbing report from the Gateway Pundit. Gateway Pundit now has this article. The first word, here's how it reads. Treason. Representative Waltz says DOD, Department of Defense, told him China spy balloons crossed U.S. during Trump years, but General Mattis did not tell Trump, thought he was too aggressive. Now, while that's the headline, if we actually go and listen to the uh, the dialogue from where they're getting this from there, and you can read the dialogue, but it's based on. All right, hold on. Here's a discussion from Fox News where they have uh, Representative Mike Waltz, where he says that his office had been briefed by the office of the secretary of defense of the current Pentagon, that it happened over Florida, it happened over Texas, and that it's happened before. He said, uh, we've had more detailed questions, but what is unclear? Then he goes on. He says, quote, I talked to Trump administration officials over the weekend that the Pentagon deliberately did it because they thought Trump would be too provocative and too aggressive. All right, so deliberately withheld the information from President Trump. In other words, they knew that these Chinese spy balloons were flying over Florida and Texas and so on, but they did not tell President Trump because they thought he was too aggressive or unstable or whatever. Uh, And so he says, uh, so that's what we need to get to the bottom of. 
And one person I'm waiting to hear from that we haven't heard from uh, is former Secretary of Defense General Mattis, who was the secretary during this time period. What did he know and what did he decide to pass on and brief to the president? So it's really, at this point, an open question. They're presenting it as though General Mattis did not tell Trump, mainly because he was in charge of the Pentagon at that time. Uh, so they're, and they're blaming General Mattis because of his position. But we haven't yet heard from General Mattis personally if that was his official position. Uh, but it's very interesting. I, I, I was talking to a, just ordinary Americans that I was encountering. And we're looking at, at each other going, Chinese spy balloons in American airspace? Are you kidding? That, that our government would allow this to happen? I mean, from the beginning of our country, going all the way back to the time of George Washington, all the way through the end of World War II, if you were a spy caught on, caught behind enemy lines, this was the standard during World War II, that if, if you were a soldier in the opposition military and you were found behind enemy lines in civilian clothing, you were counted automatically as a spy whether that was your official job or not. Because if you were a soldier, you had to be in uniform in order to be counted a POW, prisoner of war, and then you had these protections under the Geneva Convention. But all of that was dismissed if you were considered a spy. And so spies could be put to death. They could be hanged. They could be shot. That goes all the way back to the American Revolution. George Washington had a British officer hanged because he was captured behind enemy lines in civilian clothing and was counted as a spy. Uh, that's a very uh, well-known event, but the same standard existed all the way through the Second World War. I mean, you have the story of, the, of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, the Rosenbergs, who were communist spies working for the Soviet Union inside the United States. They were put to death. They were found guilty in a court of law and executed for being spies on American soil. My point is this. Spying is a capital crime. It is a crime for hundreds of years. If you got spies in our country, the government normally takes this much more seriously than what we're seeing with the Biden administration. The Biden administration has this kind of nonchalant attitude. Oh, well, yeah, there's... Some uh, Chinese spies. I mean, we've been watching this now where you had uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. She had a, uh, a driver who turned out to be a spy, a Chinese undercover agent who was her chauffeur for years. You had uh, uh, Congressman Swalwell who, who was having an affair with a woman who turned out to be a Chinese spy, a woman, a, a spy named Fang Fang of all things. And yet the people in charge of government are dealing with these issues in a much more nonchalant manner as though it's no big deal that China, that is a country very aggressively positioned against the United States of America, that it's no big deal that these communist agents are spying on the American people. And now they've, they've got spy balloons flying in our airspace, which apparently they've been doing for years now. Here is a, uh, some audio. We're going to listen to some audio from President Donald Trump talking about Chinese spies in America. Now, I've heard this before from others. I once saw a video somewhere in the last two years where a guy was talking about how there were millions of Chinese spies in our country. And I thought that just seemed kind of far-fetched. But here you have President Trump talking about there being at least thousands of Chinese spies operating inside the United States of America. Uh, let's listen to some of President Trump's audio. Here it is. It's rarely even mentioned that China has many thousands of spies working in the United States in business, finance, academia, technology, media, and likely even government, very sadly. 
As president, I established a special initiative at the Department of Justice tasked with the sole mission of targeting Chinese espionage in the United States. Joe Biden terminated that program right away, suggesting that it was somehow racist. As president, I took the most dramatic action of any administration to curtail China's ability to conduct espionage in the United States. And when I'm back in the White House, those efforts will be expanded in a very, very big way. Instead of hunting down Republicans, a reformed FBI and Justice Department will be hunting down Chinese spies. All right. So that was, of course, audio taken from a video that was created for President Trump's 2024 presidential campaign. Because, as we know, he is running for reelection in 2024. Will he be reelected? I think if if we had a pure vote, if if we had an honest vote in the country, I think he would win in 2024, just like I think he won in 2020. But the problem is, if the Democrats and really the globalists are able to rig our elections, I'm not sure that any sincere politician who actually wants to defend the cause of America and our constitutional republic under God in in opposition to globalism, which is the very antithesis of American concepts of freedom and liberty, if uh, I'm not sure that a, a true American politician can get elected to the high office of the president at this point. My theory is, is that in 2016, when they had Hillary up there, they were doing election rigging, but they were using the old system with uh, the old software system that people talked about, where they, if the election was close, they could flip it by a small percentage and put the candidate that they wanted into office. But I think what happened was that system was no longer uh, workable, no longer reliable, because Trump got so much support, I think he really blew Hillary completely out of the water. I think he went, he got way more votes than they ever thought he would, because his supporters, I mean, think about it, the people who were showing up at Trump rallies were standing out in the cold, standing in line for 12 hours, standing out there for ridiculous periods of time, waiting to get into a Trump rally. And the places were packed with tens of thousands of people. It was just a massive, massive movement that went on. And uh, I, yes, I think that Trump just completely overwhelmed Hillary and they were not expecting it. They were not expecting him to get that many votes. And they ended up losing the election when I think they had planned to put Hillary in there to do a lot of the things that Joe Biden is doing right now. Uh, But after that, they said, "Okay, we can't let this happen again. And so they came up with the whole mail in ballot system. And now they're dragging the elections out. Now it's not same day results. You're not going to get the results for days, possibly weeks. And that is one of the indicators of election rigging and election fraud, because they have to doctor the numbers and manipulate things. Uh, They can't just count up the votes and and lay them out. Personally, I think voting, if we're going to restore our voting system, people should be required to vote in person with a photo ID and sure have early voting. I think early voting is but it still should be in person with a photo ID. Every time I voted here in the state of Tennessee, I've gone and I voted in person, even if I vote early, in person, with a photo ID, you stand in line, and then they tally up the results. Uh, that's how I. That's the only way. And, and, and I agree with those who are arguing that we've got to get away from the machines and go back to the paper ballots because... And then you've got to do hand counting of the paper ballots in every county because that's the only way that anybody's going to be able to keep track of anything. 
with the computers now and the software and, and the possibilities to corrupt software, I'm not sure if there is a way to prevent the corruption as long as we keep these, uh, uh, these computers operational as they are. I think we've got to go back to old-fashioned methods. But the Lord knows what's going to happen. I don't know where all of this is going to take our country. It's uh, very disturbing. The thing that we've got to realize about the, the communist infiltrators here in the United States, they have had a plan going back to the 1960s and 70s that our country would be invaded by several other countries, China being one of them. Now, I'm going to play just a little bit of the audio from Larry Grothwall. Larry Grothwall, I've talked about on the program before. He is the former FBI agent back in the 1960s and 70s who infiltrated the Weather Underground and overheard their plans. Now, remember, the Weather Underground, founded by William Ayers, Ayers, who was an anti-war guy, a communist, a radical, but there are connections between him and the Clinton administration and uh, then later, the Obama administration, obviously, Barack Obama launched his political career from William Ayer's living room. Then you fast forward to Black Lives Matter, the founders of Black Lives Matter, who said they were well-trained Marxists, who trained them, the former leaders of the Weather Underground. Okay, these are the people who have their dream of setting up re-education camps in America and who foretold that they would eventually have to end up killing some 25 million Americans in these camps. Okay, so that's why Larry Grothwall is important. But listen to the first part of his audio from that interview that he gave. Listen to what he says about China and these other countries. Here it is. I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. Uh, you know, we... We become responsible men for administrating, you know, 250 million people. And there was no answers. No one had given any thought to economics. How are you going to clothe and feed these people? The only thing that I could get was that they expected that the Cubans and the North Vietnamese and the Chinese and the Russians would all want to occupy different portions of the United States. Okay, and then he goes on from there, if you know the interview, and many of you do, but he goes on to talk about the re-education camps and, and the plan for that. But notice what he says right before. He talks about how they expected that the Cubans and the Chinese and the North Vietnamese and, and Russia uh, would all want to occupy different parts of the United States. So he's taught and whether or not it would be that particular collection of countries or some other, he's talking about part of a, the, their plan being to have other countries invade our country, obviously, and control certain parts of it with the communists like heirs and, and others in our system operating as a fifth column as, as a, a treasonous brigade in our system waiting to help their fellow commies once they come parachuting in out of the sky or however it is that they would conduct an invasion. But that would certainly explain why we've had these reports of Chinese troops up in Canada training on and off for years. It would certainly seem to fit with these Chinese spy balloons flying over our country what are they doing? They're gathering information. That's what you do before you plan the invasion of another country. In the Bible, when God gives his charge to Ezekiel about being the watchman on the wall, yes, we know that being the watchman, uh, spiritually speaking, is a warning about the judgments of God toward a people who are sinning against God. And there's no question that our country is deeply immersed in sin and betrayal and rebellion against the creator himself, against the king of kings. High treason against the king of kings. That is what's going on in Washington, D.C. But with that, the traditional role of a watchman is also to sound the alarm if you see the sword come. 
you see the enemy about to invade your country. And thankfully, we've got a lot of watchmen in our in our nation, but we've got to get away from the thinking. If, if anybody's still thinking this way, you've got to get away from the thinking that it's not possible that America could be invaded by our enemies. It's, it's not likely if we have government leaders who are loyal to us, but once we have a government that is not loyal to the American people, and I think it can be said that most of the key areas of the people who are in charge, they are simply not loyal to the people of the United States of America. We're being denounced every day as a bunch of racists. We're being denounced. Well, our whole country was founded on slavery and our country shouldn't even exist. Uh, now you had uh, Tim Kaine, who was Hillary Clinton's running mate. His wife has come out and said the, the Declaration of Independence is a racist document and all this other kind of stuff. These are the people who are in charge. They're attacking the very foundation of everything that our country has been. And that's exactly what you would expect from people who want to overthrow our nation from within. So we've got to be standing ready at every, every level. We've got to be ready spiritually. We've got to be ready because who knows what could happen? What if, what if, what if all these stories of nuclear bombs, uh, landing inside the United States happens? What if whole cities were suddenly destroyed? What if, what if we were attacked in a, a just like 9-11? Remember when everybody woke up on 9-11, suddenly this attack in New York City. It, it shocked us. It shocked the rest of the world. Something like that could happen. Our lives upon the earth. This is why it's so important to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember my own path to salvation. A key moment was learning of the death of a friend of mine who I'd known in high school. And my best friend who became my uh, best man at my wedding, whose name was Rick, called me up that day. I was sitting in my apartment in New York at the time. And he called me up and he said, Chris, I'm sorry to tell you our friend, Keith George was his name, passed away. And I realized at that moment, we don't know. He was my age. We were the same age. And here he died suddenly. Look at all these stories that we're hearing now. Now, I'm not saying that his death, that was many, many years ago. So it, uh, he didn't die necessarily from a vaccine, not that I know of. Uh, but look at what we're seeing. We're seeing all of these people dying suddenly. They've even had that documentary, died suddenly, people dropping over. And of course, we're relating it to the vaccines and, and the fact that this is myocarditis and the effects of it, and et cetera. But it has to do, brothers and sisters, with the world that we live in. We live in a fallen world. Jesus said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world, the Lord says. But we don't know how long we've got upon the earth. People are dying suddenly all the time. Uh, bombs could come falling out of the sky and blow us all to smithereens. We don't know what's going to happen. But we've got to be standing ready and ready. Yes, should, should we be ready like the Minutemen of old? Yes, we should be at a temporal level, at the level of our nation's protection and national security? Yes, I believe that. But more importantly, we've got to be spiritually ready, ready at every moment to go and stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, if that is what we are called to. And we don't know, honestly, one way or the other. Uh, we might think we know certain things, but there's all kinds of strange things going on in the world. And Personally, I believe the Lord allows this sort of instability to go on to remind us that we should put our faith nowhere in this world, but our faith and our trust must be in Him. Because the fashion of this world is passing away. All right, brothers and sisters, we're going to go to our commercial break. When we come back, we will talk more right after this.
Adullam Films presents a stunning new documentary, The True Christian History of America, exploring the Bible-based Christian origins of the early American view of freedom, tracing the principles of liberty back to England and the Great Reformation. For many years, our schools have taught that the founding of our Republic was from the Deists or the Enlightenment in France. But is that truly the case? Did the Enlightenment first declare no taxation without representation or trial by jury? Were they the champions of freedom of speech or of the press or the right to bear arms? And why did Samuel Adams declare that the reign of political Protestantism would commence just before signing the Declaration of Independence? Filmed on location in both the United States and Europe, the True Christian History of America is now available at adullamfilms.com. That's adullamfilms.com. Now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Adullam Films presents an exciting new documentary, Bridge to Babylon, part three in an award-winning series on the untold history of the Bible. Dr. Jack Moorman calls it a masterful presentation of what is the single most important issue facing Christians today, the defense of the Bible as the Word of God. Why was the Bible changed in 1881? Why have so many churches abandoned biblical inerrancy? And what direction are scholars taking the scriptures today? Learn the truth in Bridge to Babylon, the sequel to A Lamp in the Dark and Tares Among the Wheat. Bridge to Babylon is now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Noise of Thunder Radio. Okay, we are back. Praise the Lord, you guys. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Thanks for staying with the show today. Uh, we are talking about this whole debacle with the Chinese spy balloon. The stories are still ongoing. Now, here is a story that Fox published here a short time ago. And get this. The headline says, China spy balloon shows country is preparing citizens for war that could come at any time, according to an expert. And we're going to play some of the audio from this report here in a minute. But here is uh, this is on this is MSN.com. And it says, quote, the Chinese spy balloon shows us that China is preparing to go to war. Gordon Chang, a columnist and author who has written several books on China, tweeted on Friday following the discovery of a Chinese surveillance balloon over Montana the day before. And uh, then it, the quote goes on. We know what the Chinese are doing. Chang explained they're engaged in the fastest military buildup since the Second World War. They're trying to sanctions proof of their regime. And most ominously, they're preparing China's civilians for war. Well, this is uh, and that's, again, uh, according to Gordon Chang, uh, who's written books on China. Well, this is basically what both. Hitler and Germany and Japan did right before the outbreak of the Second World War. They were building up their war machines because they were preparing to go to war. And uh, China has been doing this apparently for years. But these surveillance balloons, this is this is intelligence gathering. That's what this is. And that is typically something that you do either during a war or when you are preparing for war. So once again, we're back to the, the very real possibility that uh, we could be at war with China. You've, you've even got people making that prediction openly. I saw these headlines somewhere in the last week, but this is from Reuters, says uh, a U.S. four-star general warns of war with China in 2025, just two years away. Uh, the Hill's got the same story. A U.S. general predicts country will be at war with China in 2025. 
And uh, then people are asking questions about it. Could that be the case? Who knows? You know, people have been foretelling or predicting that we would have a civil war in this country. Uh, we were supposed to have one long before now. Thank the Lord. Uh, it has not happened yet. Uh, but people have been predicting it and writing about it. What's disturbing about this is that you had before the American Civil War, years before the Civil War happened, you had people predicting that a civil war in this country was on the way. It was just a matter of time. Same thing with the American Revolution. There were people who were writing essays, preaching sermons and messages, etc., and effectively communicating that it was simply a matter of time before our country would be at war with England. And people were able to foresee war on the horizon before World War II, before, well, at least before the United States entered World War II, uh, even though many Americans at that time really did not want to get involved in the war. And so that's where you have the whole controversy with the Pearl Harbor attack and people arguing that it was something that FDR and his administration knew about and that they had allowed to happen. That, that you can go read about this. There's many, many essays and books and, and so on written about that. Uh, but at this point, if we end up at war with China, I don't see how it can be avoided that it has been instigated by forces at work in our own country. I mean, the Rockefeller Foundation has been over in China since 1916, 17, 18, right around there. They have been building up China for more than 100 years now. Rockefeller. And think about it. Why are we buying all, every other thing that we buy says made in China on it? Who came up with that distribution deal for the Chinese so that so that their country has been built up largely by American money because we we're buying all their products. But how did that work? Why are we buying all of our stuff from China? Why is everything made in China rather than made in the USA? That's a question that people have been asking for many years. Of course, that had a lot to do with the Trump administration. That's why uh, President Trump continually talked about trade deals with China and that this whole situation was imbalanced and unfair and not good for American workers and American industry. But that's how they have built up China over the last hundred years, at least one of the ways they built it up. But if you go online, if you look up the Rockefeller Foundation and their philanthropy in China, it goes back to 1914. Now, the Rockefeller Foundation launched the China Medical Board, the CMB, in 1914 and established the Peking Union Medical College in 1917. Now, remember, Rockefeller is a communist organization. There's no question about it. This is why the testimony of Norman Dodd and the Reese Committee, uh, the Congressional Committee, is so important. Because they, they recognize that the Rockefeller Foundation, along with these other tax-exempt foundations, uh, hijacked American education back in the 1920s, rewrote our history books so that they could point the thinking of American children and ultimately the American population away from Christianity and our biblical constitutional foundation toward Marxism, socialism, and communism. That's why our universities are in the condition that they're in. And so while they've been subverting our education system here, they have also been building up China since the early part of the 20th century. So all of this, these, uh, you know, it's why Anthony Sutton wrote his book, The Best Enemies Money Can Buy. Because this is, this is a political scheme, some kind of political game. And I don't pretend to understand all of it. I don't think anybody understands all of it, but that they are using Hegelian tactics, playing one side against the other to destabilize countries and, and ultimately to advance the cause of globalism. There's no question about that. One of the things that 
Norman Dodd revealed in his interviews was how these tax-exempt foundations in their meetings, they said, what's the best way to bring about great changes in society? And the answer to that question was war. That war, when you, re- when you want to m- make major changes in a society, that war, going to war, having a war happen somehow or other, that's the best way to do it. And so look at what we've got going on right now. Here they're, they're trying to drag us into this great reset, as they call it, the great reset. And at the same time, we are financing this war in Ukraine. And now we've got all of these predictions, or at least a number of predictions, that we could be, that our country could be at war with China by 2025, somewhere in the next two years. And on that note, let's play part of this uh, report from Fox News. Here it is. Listen. Teresa Payton's with us, former chief information officer under President George W. Bush. Good morning to you and thank you for your time. Um, what do you make of it? Well, I, you know, the, the proof will be in sort of the final findings here. But uh, knowing that the military spotted it, surveilled it, uh, surrounded it, they've probably taken videos, pictures, sent signal traffic to it. Um, they probably know exactly what they're dealing with. And they're not going to tip their hand to China what they're going to do next with the information that they have. Um, the question is, is as they're floating over, not only the videos and surveillance, but are they attempting to intercept either signal intelligence, communications? You know, are they looking at surveilling sort of Internet, satellite, low Earth orbit satellites, uh, as well as cellular technology? So this could be truly just a scientific balloon, or there could be something more here. They could be collecting information via videos, audio, um, and also signal intelligence. And so, Teresa, are they looking for information from uh, everyday Americans, civilians, or are they looking for targeted military information, of which there probably is a lot there in Montana? Well, China in recent years has deployed uh, a little bit of an all-of-and-above strategy, Dana. So it's a great question that you ask. Yes, was was a very great question that, uh, that was asked there. But unfortunately, the answer, and you can go listen to the rest of the interview. I didn't, she basically, the expert from the Bush administration, says a whole lot of nothing. You know, that basically China could be gathering all sorts of data for economic purposes, scientific purposes, and possibly government military purposes as well. Uh, But of course, our concern should be here you have a a foreign country that is hostile to the United States that is perceived to be the enemy or opponent of the United States of America. Even though it's a, a Cold War opposition, nevertheless, we're not seen as allies with China. Uh, And here they have violated our airspace, sending these spy balloons, and they've done it for years. And so you've had people that have been predicting that we were going to go to war with China. Now, here's an article. This is an article from the Washington Standard uh, that says the real by Michael Snyder, the real significance of the Chinese spy balloon saga. And the article says, quote, it took a balloon for millions of Americans to finally realize that we really are on the brink of war with China. It says when a four star general recently warned that we would be fighting a war with China in 2025, that didn't create too much of a stir. And when U.S. Representative Michael McCall stated that odds of a war between the United States and China over Taiwan are, quote, very high. That made barely a blip in the news cycle. But the giant spy balloon that just floated across our country really got people fired up. Okay, that's what the article says. Now, uh, back to the, the uh, question that was asked by Fox News about them flying over military bases. That spy balloon, apparently, according to Gateway Pundit, the Gateway Pundit made a list of all the military bases that the spy balloon flew over. There are 21 U.S. military bases 
that that spy balloon flew over on its trek. And I mentioned how it flew over Tennessee. Apparently, there is a base, Nashville ANG, uh, in Tennessee. Actually, there's, what is there? Fort Campbell is listed here. Nashville, Smyrna, Houston Barracks, McGee, Tyson. Okay. Uh, One, two, three, four, five bases here in the state of Tennessee, according to this list. And uh, this spy balloon flew over all of them. And that's, again, according to the Gateway Pundit. And you can see, actually, the Gateway Pundit, their article, they've got an article that says, here is a list of the U.S. military bases in the path of the China spy balloon as it traversed across the continental United States. And you can see it moving from Montana, according to this map, across Wyoming and South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Mississippi, uh, part of Kentucky, over Tennessee, and then through North Carolina and what appears to be South Carolina as well. So that was the path. And then once it got to the East Coast, that is where they reportedly shot it down. And people have been questioning that. You know, the Biden administration says they didn't want to shoot it down beforehand because supposedly the debris would endanger people. But now critics are coming in and they're saying, well, wait a second, he shot it down over the ocean and it's going to make it much, much more difficult to retrieve any of the parts of this balloon to examine them. If it goes down to the bottom of the ocean, it's very, very difficult to track or find anything in the ocean. So uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but it all points in the direction that we have forces in our own government in our deep state in the CIA and in Washington DC that are compromising in a whole variety of ways the national security of the United States of America there's no question about that all right now is it is it possible we ask the question that they are deliberately dragging us into a war, that they're going to get us intent, not just with this conflict in the Ukraine, because we could find ourselves at war with Russia. If this continues to go on, if, if, and it is going on, and they keep dumping more and more money into the conflict with Ukraine, which is provoking further responses from Vladimir Putin and the uh, Russian government, could Russia at some point declare war on the United States? Part of me thinks they won't do it, but who knows? Could Russia and China be united as kind of an Axis power along with another country like perhaps Iran, perhaps Turkey, perhaps North Korea, perhaps Cuba? united in opposition against the United States of America? And could we find ourselves, is this how World War III is going to unfold? They've already been proclaiming that we are in the midst of World War III anyway. It's already happening. It's already begun. Uh, and as I pointed out before, if you examine the way World War I began and World War II began, they didn't all start at once. There were a series of events that escalated and, and brought all of these other countries that had these alliances and entanglements politically all into the mix. And that's how the first two world wars happened. And that seems to be the direction we're moving in, folks. We've got to be, we've got to be alert. We've got to be ready. Uh, somewhere in the not-too-distant future, we could find ourselves in the middle of a war the likes of which our country has never seen because it, they might bring it to American soil. That's why I think this is so significant and just based upon the, the things that they have been talking about for decades. As we, we discussed with uh, Larry Grothwall and whatnot, 
do they have some kind of a plan to to allow? I mean, if they're if, if they're allowing millions of illegals through our southern border, they're allowing Chinese spy balloons and Chinese spies all over the country. They're allowing these things to happen. Will they allow our country to be invaded from Canada by Chinese troops at some point? Could that be what's in store in the next two years for the United States of America? All right. Here's what I want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing questions out there. This is not fear-mongering, folks. What happens to the children of Israel over and over and over again in the book of Judges when they turn away from God, they begin worshiping idols, they fall into rebellion and evil and wickedness against the Lord. They're offering up their children as sacrifices to pagan gods. But what happened? We read the book of Judges. Whenever Israel fell into sin and rebellion, she would be given over into the hands of her enemies or she would find herself at war. That's what happened. So I don't believe that this is happening for nothing. I believe that our enemies are moving in because of the sins of our nation. That ultimately is what's behind all of this. I mean, look at what's just happened here. We had the Grammy Awards. Here's a, here's a headline. Uh, Tucker Carlson mocks Grammys as, quote, transgender Satanism brought to you by Pfizer. Transgender Satanism. I watched about 30 seconds of the video presentation of this. It, it, I, it's, it's unbelievable how, how exposed and, and how, uh, how blatant the wickedness and the evil has now become in our country, where they're just openly celebrating Satan and devil worship and, and in its most vile and wicked forms. It's, it's unbelievable that this should happen in our country. We are at a time right now, we are at a time very much like Elijah, when the prophet Elijah walked the earth and you had King Ahab and Queen Jezebel who worshiped Baal. They were openly worshiping Satan. And think about this scripture that describes what was going on. First Kings uh, 16 and verse 31 where it says, and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. So notice what we're reading there, that Ahab does this as if it were a light thing, as if it it were no big deal for him to go and worship Baal, ultimately. That's where we are, I believe, as a country, because we have these people in power and people who are influencing the general population through Hollywood and the music industry and so on, and they are treating satanic worship and the perversions of the LGBT community as if it's a light thing, as if it's no big deal. Sure, they can do this. They can go into the schools and corrupt the children and celebrate Satan, etc. We're we're in a situation like that because I think our situation is even worse than the American Revolution. You, you, there, there's no reports that I know of that the King of England was worshiping the devil, and that the Redcoats were were openly involved in Satanism and and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, this is unbelievable. What's happening? It's unbelievable. And that they're targeting the children in our schools with all of this. It's, it is beyond what I would have imagined globalism would have looked like at this point. It's worse. It's more horrible in this regard than I would have imagined. I, I guess I always thought it would be, you know, much more subtle, much more cloaked much more deceptive. This is not deceptive at all. This is just open declarations of evil, just flat-out wickedness. No other way to look at it or think about it. 
But as the scripture warns, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. At this point, they are calling evil good, and they are denouncing anybody who stands up for what is right. Utterly and completely denouncing anyone who takes a stand for the law and the commandments of God. This is pure Satanism. And of course, it's all part of the Great Reset. So, uh, but now this brings us around full circle. Exactly what is behind the Great Reset? Well, we're, we're watching the satanic elements of it. But as uh, there is an old saying, one that we know very well here at Noise of Thunder Radio, uh, and that is that all roads, sooner or later, all roads lead to Rome. That is the old saying. And we find, once again, on this path toward globalism and the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, we're about to listen to Klaus Schwab himself describe what his chief influence was in terms of why he chose to pursue this vision of a Great Reset. And he reveals that he was influenced by a Roman Catholic priest and a socialist named Helder Kamara. Helder, H-E-L-D-E-R Kamara, C-A-M-A-R-A, who was an advocate of liberation theology. And he was seen, it was a Catholic priest, obviously, and seen at, an, let me correct that, a Brazilian Catholic archbishop, not just a priest, but a Brazilian Catholic archbishop. Remember, this whole uh, Latin American Jesuitism, even though he was not a Jesuit formally. He might have been secretly, but that's not his official order. But he most certainly would have been influenced by them and would have worked with them. Uh, but this whole connection to what's going on south of our border in Latin America, the current Jesuit general is a Latin American. The current, current pope is a Latin American. Uh, and now the chief influence over Klaus Schwab, by his own admission, we're about to hear him, was a Brazilian Catholic archbishop. Okay, listen to Klaus Schwab explain where he got his inspiration. Here it is. I, I give you one example, which for me was probably a crucial moment in my life. I traveled for the first time. Uh, to Brazil. I met uh, a priest uh, who was known at that time as the priest of the poor people. Hmm. Uh, his name was Don Elder Camara. And he brought me to the favelas of uh, Recife and I was so shocked. And I said, I have to invite this bishop to Davos hmm. to tell the people what poverty is. So I invited him to, to, to the annual meeting in Davos. But some when I came back in Switzerland, I found out that actually he was forbidden at that time Ooh. to speak in Switzerland because he was considered to be a communist. And I said, this is for me a test. But then I noticed that many companies told me, if you invite this person who is so much against business, we will not come to Davos And that's where I had to stand to my values. Yeah. Even at the risk that I would have to give up uh, the World Economic Forum. Wow. Um, but it went very well. Uh, I have to say, um, the audience in Davos listened to him. Uh, so Davos listened to him, and then strangely, it was just an odd coincidence that they adopted his entire communist worldview. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and you just kind of have to wonder what sort of opposition Klaus Schwab was really facing back then. There probably was a lot of Jesuit coercion and manipulation. That's what I believe. I can't necessarily prove that right now. But just given how the order operates, it's not a coincidence that Klaus Schwab met with this guy uh, and uh, then brings him to Davos to speak to the World Economic Forum people. And now they have effectively adopted as the Great Reset, the Great Reset and the New World Order and globalism is simply a, 
an international system of communism. That's what it is. International communism, socialism, redistribution of wealth, abolishing private property ownership, which they've openly admitted is what they're working for. They basically want to enslave humanity and they are going to continue to make philanthropic claims that they're doing it all for charity. They're doing it all for a good reason, supposedly. And that's the excuse that they're using to try and enslave humanity. Now, I want to give a shout out to uh, our dear brother, Jason, out in Colorado, who forwarded this video to me. And I also want to mention uh, the, the context of the video comes from a conservative Catholic channel called The Remnant Video. The Remnant Video. And if you go to this particular video, it's a much, much longer presentation, but it's called Davos in the Catacombs, Klaus Schwab's Secret Vatican Connection. And it's really a very interesting expose on this whole thing, but it shows a connection, a, an even deeper connection with Rome and the Vatican uh, and then Klaus Schwab. One thing that I found interesting, the, the host's name is Michael J. Matt. Again, this is a Catholic channel, but he argues that Vatican Council II, in his opinion, was the first Great Reset. And that's a very interesting theory that he has, that they, that they basically reset the Western world because the Western world was governed by Christianity, a Christian worldview, whether it was Protestant, Catholic, or whatever. But it was that Christianity is the only true religion. Vatican II basically reset, if you will, the thinking of the West to say that, well, maybe other religions like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, maybe we need to consider these belief systems as well and see them as being other paths to finding God. That's what happened with Vatican Council II. That's why I think his assertion is very interesting. Okay, now before we close, I wanted to address an issue from our last program uh, where I was talking about a book that somebody sent me in the mail called Revelation Timeline Decoded by an author named David Nikeo Wilcoxon. Uh, now, as I said on the program, the only thing I knew about this book was flipping through it. Did not know the author, never heard of him before. Uh, somebody sent this to me in the mail. I wanted to say thank you, but I was interested. Why? Because it's based on historicism, supposedly. So I thought, and of course, the author is quoting a lot of people that were familiar with J.A. Wiley and uh, great reform teachers and writers and so on, John Gill, etc. Unfortunately, while he's quoting a lot of those people in his book, uh, he, he might agree with them on certain issues of prophecy and history, but unfortunately, he does not share their view of other areas of theology, in particular, Trinitarian doctrine. And thankfully, a number of you sent me emails and gave me a heads up on this guy uh, and some links to his websites. He has some very questionable views, um, views that we don't recommend. And he gets into things about the Trinity, where he's buying into what looks to me like Hebrew roots type stuff blended in with the Bible. Uh, he uses a Bible version called the ISR version, which is taken from the Institute for Scripture Research. And it's kind of a messianic Hebrew roots type thing. So when he's quoting the scripture, he's quoting like Acts chapter 2, and Peter said to them, repent and let each one of you be immersed in the name of Yeshua Messiah for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the set-apart spirit. Okay? And so uh, continually there's these insertions of Hebrew names into the text of the New Testament. The problem with that, of course, 
is that the New Testament was written originally in Greek, and the authors of the New Testament, most of whom were Jewish, did not feel the need to insert all of these Hebrew names into the text. So they're, they're not calling Jesus Yeshua. Uh, they're not referring to God as Elohim or, or these other uh, Hebrew names. And the people who are employing them don't even really know if they're pronouncing things and communicating them accurately. Why? Because the only way you can do that is to have knowledge of the vowel sounds uh, from the ancient Hebrew language. And there's been so much controversy over those because of the debates against Christianity by Orthodox Judaism. And there are assertions, we don't have time to go into it today, but there are assertions that there has been tampering with the Hebrew through the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th centuries with, with Orthodox unbelieving Jews trying to find ways to refute the New Testament teachings. Okay, I'll just say that briefly. We really need to do a whole show on that because it's a big controversy. But nevertheless, when you're hearing people employing these Hebrew names and this kind of thing, the main thing to understand is that Jesus and the apostles did not communicate that way, at least not according to what we have recorded in the original New Testament writings in Greek. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did not feel compelled to insert all of these Hebrew names into the text. And they were writing in Greek, right? Just like our translations are in English. So we're, we're supposed to be translating from the Greek into English. So why are they translating from the Greek into Hebrew and giving us Hebrew names that were not included in the original New Testament? That's the question. Now, when Jesus refers to God the Father as Abba, and he says, Abba, Father, there he's employing Aramaic, and he says, Abba, Father, and, and so the text says, Abba, Father, and that's what's communicated. It's what we have in our King James translations of the scripture. But the idea that we have to be employing all of these Hebrew names and words and this kind of thing, uh, or else you're not really communicating authentic Christianity is simply unreasonable, and it is not according to the whole counsel of God that we have in the New Testament. And of course, there is a lot more that we could say about this. There's a lot more documentation and, and arguments and so on to be presented. Uh, I don't uh, pretend to have solved all the theological issues in the last five minutes of this program, not at all, uh, but I wanted to communicate that about this author because I mentioned him before, uh, did not have a greater knowledge of the other things that he teaches. And of course, we simply cannot recommend these other areas that he's getting into. Uh, I do recommend people like J.A. Wiley and John Gill and the great Reformed writers and teachers of the past. I think uh, their writings we should continue to study uh, because I think that they were very, very close to the Scripture. And in my view, they had a much more scriptural worldview. But at the same time, they all embraced the Trinitarian doctrines of the ancient church, uh, as we do. You know, we, we agree with the Nicene Creed. We agree with the Apostles' Creed. We agree with the Athanasian view of Trinitarian doctrine. Now, what confuses some people is when they're reading the Nicene and Apostles' Creed about the, uh, the Holy Apostolic Catholic Church, okay, when they, when they read that part of the creed, they think it's a reference, some people do, to the Roman Catholic Church. And it's important to understand that's not talking about the Pope and nuns and cardinals and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the word Catholic there simply means universal, a lot of people get confused about this when they study early church writings. They don't realize that, no, this is not talking about popery. It's talking about the idea of the church universal. Everybody in the world who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, who truly believes it, are part of the church universal. Not necessarily people bowing to the Pope and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, and the reference to an apostolic 
church, I think is very important. It's not talking about the claims of apostolic succession from the papacy. Those things show up much later. Okay? Uh, th- those are later claims. What they're trying to do, I believe, I believe they were trying to refute not only Arius, but the Gnostics as well. Because the testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ should be based upon the testimony of the apostles who walked with him during his time upon the earth. And it's their writings and testimonies that we have in the New Testament. So that is what the word apostolic means. It's not a reference to different church leaders who are claiming to be apostles after the first century. Apostolic means the original apostles who walked with the Lord, who communicated with him, and could bear witness to his life, uh, to his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. That's why that's important, the word apostolic. Because it all comes back to what are you basing your Christianity on? What are you basing it on? If you're not basing it on the testimony of the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament, if you're not basing it upon that, where did you get it from? And that's why this is important to understand what our Christian faith is to be based upon. And it all points us back to the Holy Scripture. Praise the Lord. All right. Brothers and sisters, we are out of time. That is going to do it for us today. That is our show. We will stop it there, but we will be back next time as the Lord leads us. Until then, God bless you guys. I'm Chris Pinto, and you've been listening to Noise of Thunder Radio. Noise of Thunder Radio.